I don't really follow any trends as such because I feel the people that I deal with actually set the trends. And I say that because um, a lot of the houses we do end up in Architectural Digest. That's a trend-setting magazine, as you know. People Absolutely. would look at the pictures there and say, I want that. ATWF, all things wood floor, once again going international and over the pond and back again. We have Roy Ekirov of The Rhodium Floors Los Angeles, brought to you by Wood Floor Business. You can read Roy's article on how his worldly travels help his highly successful flooring company in this December-January issue of Wood Floor Business Magazine. Rhodium, as the most precious metal on this planet, it sells for about $12,000 an ounce and trades on the stock market for over $300,000. Uh, something way beyond our gold standard, and that's what Roy Akiroff was shooting for when he named his company. Rhodium received a 2021 Outstanding Retailer Award in Los Angeles as the purveyor of fine flooring from Beverly Hills to Hollywood. You're going to want to crank up the volume on this one, folks. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. It's a British invasion, people. They left a large wooden rabbit at the gate, and it looks like they mean business. ATWF, a big welcome for Roy Akiroff of Rhodium Floors Los Angeles. Floor pros around the world, let's get to it, mate! Roy Akiroff of Rhodium Floors in Los Angeles, welcome to All Things Wood Floors. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. It's, it's, it's nice to finally be on board. And um, I want to apologize because I know I've been putting this off for a while. But um, that might be a good thing. We may be able to sort of um, talk more about the funny things and stories that have happened in the time that I haven't been online with you because that's what our weeks are. Our weeks are uh, a collection of, of events. And um, I feel that's what I do every week. I just collect um, funny stories that happen either with clients or for clients or just things we do every day. You know, yeah, I've got to make the job fun. We've spoken a couple of times and the people that don't know it's taken us like 300 tries to get this straight because I want this to happen. And uh, yes. we, you know, we've had technical difficulties. We, we are, you're three hours off of where I'm at and we've, you've had some great stories. And the, the one thing that stuck with me was you said, don't worry, I'm good at regurgitating. And here we are. We, we already recorded <laughs> part of this and now we're regurgitating again. But no. rhodium, uh, it, we had spoke about, it's, it's a, one of the most precious and rarest metals on the planet. It's $12,000 an ounce. It sells for $400 a share. And I was asking you about, did you know the name Rhodium come before or after y- your reputation, which is stellar? It's in Woodford Business Magazine. It's, you're on the internet. You do just super high-end material. Which came first, chicken or the egg with this one? So uh, it, it was more of a sort of um, an altogether thing. It, during my planning of opening a business, I, um, you know, having done this in England, I've been in the trade for t- since 2004. Um, when I decided to open shop, I said that I want to deal with the Uber high end. So all products, name, branding, everything would be in that, uh, you know, sort of top notch mark. And I've lived, you know, I, I've lived it. And that's that's exactly what I'm doing. So, yeah, nothing's really changed. I can't tell you that every floor we sell is four hundred dollars a foot. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 interesting. It's not to say that we don't have stuff that is. But um, I take things as they come. Um, everything is a, cre- a new creation here. And, um, you know, rhodium be that it's uh, an expensive element. Um, uh, I'm, I'm one that uh, likes uh, sort of to look at that as uh, my branding. 
Um, and that's what we plan towards. So, yeah. Well, last time I, I spoke with you to get all this set up, you were, I think, in a $65 million home where the gentleman couldn't, he couldn't remember who you were. Well, tell me about uh, that one. It was, it was the other way around, actually. So I, I, I've, I've got, a, obviously, you know, uh, my sales guys who um, uh, 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 visit projects. And um, my guy called me up and he goes, you've got to come and see this. The guy's interested in meeting you. And I guess at that point, he didn't have our, our name or card, even though my guys wear T-shirts just like me. But um, we made a meeting. The contractor turned up and uh, the guy says to me, hey, Roy, you don't remember me. I, I came to your shop and I picked up some samples, you know, months back, like eight, nine months ago. And, um, you know, I, I kind of blanked and I said, um, no, please remind me. I'm, you know, I'm honest. I don't just tell people I know them if I don't. And um, he says, yeah, I came in and I picked up samples for this other project. Long and short, I'm standing there in front of him and I said, look, I'd love to help you on this one. It's a lovely home and I'm here for a reason. So um, here I am taking out my table. You know, we, we, we present things a little differently. Uh, even if it's a, a project, we sort of make it, you know, feel like ours is a step above the rest. So whereas contractors come in, they lay the floors on the floor. I actually don't do that. I lay them on a table because um, then it's, you know, at, uh, at, at sort of more eye point. So you can see it at, at, a, at a level. So this is an empty house. We always have a fold away table in our car. And um, here I am presenting all the samples. And the guy turns around to me, and goes, how much? And I go, um, well, you know, I'm, here are my quotes and I present them on each sample. And he goes, um, the owner has got um, an all inclusive install. I don't even know if I want to state this figure, but it, it was just at that point of I, I just I was shocked. My eyeballs rolled. And I looked at Josh, my sales guy, and I go, all right, that's our cue. Pick up the stuff. Let's go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> And the guy turned around to me and says, stop, stop, please. I, I, I like your presentation and I want to have the owner look at it. And I go, happy to leave it, but we're, we're nowhere close. I mean, we're just miles apart. Um, so essentially, this very, very beautiful house was taking the cheapest floors on earth. I mean, it, 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 I don't even know if laminates trade for the price this wood floor was going for. Um, and I, I left saying, you know, it would be a real shame to see this house with this floor. And he turned around to me and he goes, I totally agree with you. That's why I've got to show your options. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. We do some of these uh, wonderful homes and they do go for our floors and they don't argue a penny snatch. But this was this was a special case. I mean, it, it really was something that I was extremely surprised. Uh, what came of it, actually, now that we we, we um, you know managed to get by, past that, I did pick up my samples about 48 hours later. And I did hear that they ended up putting that uh, very, very cheap floor. Oh, wow. That's not good. So I'm going to visit because <laughs> this is one for the books. I really have to see this I floor down. I want to see down. what that looks like. How yeah, you, I have to. Do I you remember how you, how did you get into high, right, so let's start from the beginning. Where did you start in flooring and how did you get to where you're at? Like, how did you go from, did you start just doing regular installs and that kind of stuff or no? I was never in. I was never really contractually um, in flooring, meaning I never did the labor. Right. Um, I oversaw it, um, so I had crews. But um, in England, I actually came from the banking world and the real estate world, and I had two friends who were running a little show. You know, as I said, sort of, um, you know, just storing floors in their a little storage unit in a one of these, you know, as a, you know, paper month storage units. And uh, it was, you know, if I recall, probably a 12 by 12 unit, really small. 
and they had floors stacked up in there and they said look we, we've got a nice business going and i said really so i went to check it out and i go um you know you you need a shop front so that's where i came in i actually invested in two guys who were installing they're super professional they've been in it for many years but um they just needed that push and then we opened a store which is still live. It's called ESB Flooring. So anybody can look it up. It's esbflooring.com. And it's become one of what we call in England a cash and carry. So you come in, you pay, and then you load and leave. Um, and it's a stock item arrangement. Um, there are many of them here. Um, it's still high end, actually. We bring a lot of European products, but we just bring a volume. It's more of a volume based business. So um, slightly lower prices. Um, still European products. Uh, we do both tiles and wood. But um, when I came to the States, I didn't want to do the same thing. It was it's a rather big investment to, um, you know, buy stock. And here in California, um, totally different game to London. I mean, you know, we can get away with a lot less stock because, you know, homes over here are the minimum is 25, 3000 square feet. Yeah. Uh, that That's that's a you know, that's a building in England. <laughs> so, right. So. So in that sense, um, you know, it made more sense to sort of uh, open a business over here where I would uh, present um, custom samples that either are made for us or by us um, and sell them as people order them as opposed to stock them. So, yeah, um, our timing is, is, is OK. It's not great. I mean, the minimum, you know, the minimum time it takes us to make a floor is about four weeks when things are going well. Um, but that could be up to 15 or two months sometimes to make a single floor even longer. Um, and then we have very few stock items that we bring in from Italy. So, um, you know, the, the range is, is small for today's floor. Uh, but if you're willing to wait, which is the bulk of our clients, the architects, the designers and so on, um, then we um, present them with options that uh, will take longer, but are far more unique. You're saying Liverpudians don't have 6,000 foot flats? Where you're from? Is that right? Is yeah, that liver pudding? Paul uh, certainly has a very, very beautiful home um, in in central London today. But when he was living in Liverpool, no, he was living in a gut. I think he's earned it, Roy. <laughs> I think we can agree the fellows earned that. Yeah, yeah. So how do you? Yeah. Um, when did you first? Uh, now that that you got yourself into flooring, how did you identify, or maybe it just hit you early on, what a what a high end. Uh, client and project is like, I mean, like you said, everybody here throws down red oak, white oak, pre-finished, sand and finish, you know, you get an occasional border or something, but where you are and how you got into the design element part of it and traveling all over the world, how did you, what was your first high-end job and how would I identify that from another job? Mm, um, I think the area that I set up in really draws um, the sort of clientele that I was looking for because, you know, everything at the end of the day is location, right? So. Um, here in L.A., being set up in, in Design Quarter, which is um, basically West Hollywood, um, you know, drew in that crowd. And, you know, the people around me, basically, you know, to the south, I've got um, Beverly Hills, well, I say uh, southeast of my shop. And then north of that, I've got Sunset. So that's all the Hollywood Hills and West Hollywood Hills. Um, and then I've got, you know, the beach, which is only 20 to 30 minutes away. So. It's just the area, you know, that's that's my catchment. And when I set up over here, I guess it was predetermined that most people who walked into the store would either be people who lived in the area or looked us up. And on our website, you would see that, you know, the floors uh, do bleed. 
um, a more, um, by definition, I guess, just a, a, a higher end finish, a more unique finish, so on and so forth. First job, um, you'd be surprised, actually, the first job I ever had was actually a friend who lived in the area. So we became mates just, you know, sort of hanging out. And um, we actually had, both had dogs at the time and we would walk the dogs uh, in the mornings. So um, won't forget him. Um, a good friend named Greg lives in the area, musician, owned a beautiful home. And he goes, once you open your doors, I want to be the first client. So that actually was my first job. <laughs> so because um, he knew that it would be something high end and worthy of his house. And that's why he came in. But yeah, the rest of the clients, I mean, it's just, you know, it really today, it's really more word of mouth. Um, I don't advertise as much. We are very focused on Internet advertising, but we don't do much magazines or anything. I get a lot of word of mouth now. It's it's really about, you know, pushing sales via um, word of mouth or my guys who um, who visit sites. And then I know from reading your articles that you've written and stories, there's a lot of travel involved. Most flooring people are kind of centrally located and they have an area they work within but you you try is the the traveling for design concept ideas like explain the travel part of your whole career for me my travel part yeah um interestingly enough so my parents uh, you know I, I i'd call them nomads because um they would live where there was work so you know we've lived um we started off in israel at a very young age my parents come from different countries but but um they traveled to europe my dad was in fashion so he would travel all over Europe because, you know, there was no one place you could choose for selling, um, you know, um, designer clothing. Um, so he was very involved in that. And um, as it goes, we would travel a lot. I mean, we'd, we'd, be in, we'd stay in Italy when we were young and we would be there for months. And then we would move maybe to France and then back to England. So he would follow his work. And that's essentially what they did. We, we followed. Obviously, we went through with him. Um, so I've always been very used to traveling. Um, and I guess it's just innate in my genes. I need to travel, um, one, just to clear my head. And two, it, I sort of have made it into a work thing. So um, uh, uh, pre-COVID, I would probably travel about three or four times a year, um, you know, pretty far. I'd say, you know, not within the U.S. to source materials. And that's another thing that was in my business plan. I always said that I want to bring in unique things. And, you know, I feel that the most unique things would not be within the U.S. as such, um, only because the next person may have already seen them. And I just wanted to bring in things that people hadn't seen. And the only way to do that was to sort of travel far enough, um, you know, to the ends of the world and sort of um, look at stuff and analyze whether it was something I could bring in. Um, so, yeah, I don't stop at anything. I mean, if it's Morocco, if it's India, um, if it's, um, you know, I've, I've gone even far Asia, Thailand, places like that, that I can bring in very unique things. And then the bulk of my stuff is definitely European based. So, you know, if I have to sort of name them Italy and France, you know, a great a deal of my um, palette is from there. Um, and I do revisit very often. I go, um, you know, at least once a year to see my existing vendors um, and or um, suppliers. And um, while doing so, I always take a few extra days and, and look for others. And what is it about it that's different that becomes part of the flooring process? Is, is it, you know, parquets and patterns and shapes and figures? I mean, we're not just talking a prettier, linear laid floor in an average home. It, it must, I mean, from the photos and, and your samples, I've seen you have exotic parquets and herring bones, but you use mixed media too. There's a lot of, of hardwood, but there's a lot of mixed media in there too. 
Right. So yeah, we, we definitely we definitely I, I like to see um, different materials being mixed and laced into a floor. Um, so if it's if it's pre you know I'm not going to say precious metals, but we have metals that are mixed in. So you know your your bronze, your copper, um, which I love to see in floors. Um, you know silver is always in there too, and gold. But um, um, uh, you know and those are just a, a sort of uh, to name a few. But we definitely use a lot of um, unique stones. Um, so you know if they're Italy sourced or or India sourced. Uh, you know, so if it's, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, your um, uh, uh, black and white and so all sorts of colors, whatever it may be, I, I try and incorporate what I can into a floor if it makes sense. Um, you know, I've even gone as far as making panels with lava stone, um, you know, and um, I'm actually trying some stuff with resin now, actually. So we're, we're, we're trying some new stuff with pouring resin in different directions and seeing how that uh, works with uh, a wood floor laced in. So, yeah, some really exciting stuff. Uh, and, you know, my ideas do come from travel and that's that's exactly what it is. I, I don't invent the wheel. Um, I wish I could, but I don't always do it. And and um, my design elements do come from seeing things whilst I travel and, you know, just gaining ideas. And that's just part of of, of what I do. Anything strange, work. exotic, weird that you wouldn't normally see anywhere else? I... Exotic woods. Like yes. I know you mentioned um, something online I saw about eggshells, but I think that might have been an artwork or in paintings. Okay, so no, yeah, yeah, you're right. So we have a um, we have a, a very unique um, supplier in England, uh, Simon Orell. He's a, a, a very um, high end furniture maker. I say high end. That's that's an understatement. Um, you know, he's really very involved in the yacht and jet. Um, uh, furnishing so that really put, sets the bar and um, I took him on because I just thought his his finishes are just so unique I mean he uses um, tortoise shell and eggshells and all sorts of shells um, he does straw marquetry which is super unique if you know what that is it's just literally taking pieces of straw and just like laying them in different patterns um, very very unique um, not on my website yet it's a very recent thing so um, I'm trying to think how to best display it because he's very used to doing paneling not so much flooring so I'm trying to work a palette with him um, to see how that would work out but yes that's way way up there I mean you know he's 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 got some wonderful things in fact he was recently reviewed I believe it was um, uh, either Condé Nast or one of these big magazines in England, um, he delivered a, a very, very spectacular piece of furniture for somebody, um, uh, um, sort of an English-based celeb. And um, yeah, it's all over the internet. But yeah, super, super unique things. Way, way up there. I mean, it's just way beyond the flooring world. But um, yeah, another thing that we've taken on recently is wallpapers. That's something that I'm... Uh, I'm uh, so, you know, in, in doing wall coverings, I, again, I try to look for things that are unique. So... It doesn't necessarily have to be made of wood if it's a wallpaper that's made of silk, but it's got something to offer me that's an edge. Um, so we took on Lala Curio, which is a beautiful, beautiful um, set of, um, um, it, it, I don't know how best to describe it, but it's, it's basically 3D wallpaper. So everything sticks out at you. So um, just very, very intricate and uh super unique and that's basically what we look for we look for very you know lush products and that's just one of those things that's coming in the new year so yeah um i, I try and, as i said i try and bring in things that the the crowd that i serve will love and uh, that's just one of those things well in any design element and flooring is obviously part of design and decor and 
I always tell people it's the, probably the most expensive and valuable piece of furniture you're going to place in your home if you do it properly. Um, right. It, it seems like it, it, the nice thing about what you're involved in, too, is you, you're going to have this refreshing turnover of not only art and design and culture and colors and shades, but you get your fads and trends. So, you know, a, a lot of things like right now, we're going through this thing where everything is brown and gray, everything. And you seem, these seem to be fads. They will go away. Something more trendy, you know, when laminates came into play, when they got out of trend, they moved into probably SPCs. And that's all these other floors that look a little better, perform a little better, look a little realer. Um, right. With those things coming and going and changing and you trying to help your customer, you know, you think about it. You put a floor in a house. You don't want something that's a fad. You want something fairly trendy that will keep the value of the home. Do you see a lot of the decision-making that you're doing based on like the long term, or is it just meeting the customer's aesthetic needs? So it's a bit of both, really, to define it. Um, I go through what I would call the interview process with a client, even from the get-go. So when they call up to make an appointment, so we, we are by appointment only. This is sort of a more COVID thing, um, but we are by appointment. I try to limit the amount of people in the showroom because it's not humongous, but big enough to accommodate one to two clients at a time. And um, uh, in doing so, I get them on the phone. I'm, I'm able to ascertain before they even come in, um, you know, more or less whether they'd actually be a client for my products. Um, and then I can gauge what they like and sort of set up the meeting so we're ready to go as soon as they walk in. So because um, as much as we have so much choice hanging up um, in our showroom and it's, you know, neatly displayed a bit like an art gallery, we have like these huge, huge panels that we hang up on a beam of which there are probably about 80 samples on there. But um, I try to limit it before they come in, because at that point, if I give them less choice, I feel it's going in a direction. If you open the palette to 80 samples, it's kind of confusing. So in, in answering the question, I do know what a client wants. Probably before he comes in, um, I know if they're going to be a client, um, you know, or something that's going to be a lengthy process. And then... Um, I guess going back to it, um, I don't really follow any trends as such because I feel the people that I deal with actually set the trends. And I say that because um, a lot of the houses we do end up in Architectural Digest. That's a trend-setting magazine, as you know. People Absolutely. would look at the pictures there and say, I want that um, for those who read it and can afford it. Um, and then, you know, it's not to say I don't sell gray floors. They're still in. But um, I try not to be with the trendy stuff of course our stock items because i have to make sure they move and they don't sit on the shelf for too long so i think they interlace with stuff that's more popular out there but i wouldn't say that it's something that's you know everlasting in the sense that i don't just sell a gray floor i don't just sell a brown floor um, a lot of what we do is very custom made and therefore it may pick up elements of stuff that's trendy but most people who spend the money with us want to make sure they have something unique and that's probably what it you know that's probably what it boils down to well with your design work and and traveling going back to that are is there internationally anything uh different in different parts of the world based on like culturally uh, culturally on tra uh, shades and colors and you know th there are different types of you know you go to an art museum in boston might not be quite the same as it is in la or if it's in london or paris or in, right. in different cultures around the world, like you mentioned to me, Morocco and England, are, are there homes, do they follow different type of colors and designs and patterns and things? There's a feel there? 
Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, and I, I argue this the whole time, Europe is years away, um, or ahead rather, years ahead of European um, taste. And, and you know, what, what I see happening is, and I, I say it's an average of about four to five years, um, sometimes more in some items. So the flaws that we bring in sometimes, people walk in and say, wow, never seen that before. Um, and they probably won't for a, a bit of a time until somebody else comes along and either, you know, replicates it or it just becomes more of an Americanized, um, uh, American accepted product. So um, I wouldn't say, you know, European homes, of course, Moroccan and Asia, very, very different. But um, I've got to stick to what I, I can sell in, in in L.A. and, you know, be that it's a, um, a sunny place, be that it's, you know, people are sort of looking for very, very open space, huge windows, you know, unlike New York, for example, which to me, it, it's a little more gray. It, they've got more, they've got more seasons. So the winter is definitely gray. Um, you know, they've got the summer, it's super hot. Um, but here in LA, it's, it's sunny, uh, you know, 350 days of the year. Right. So, you know, I tend to see less of the gray colors going in the dark colors because people want bright spaces because they have the sun coming through. Sure. So, yes, going to Europe, I can choose items that are unique but may not sell. And I always try to keep a few on my shelf. But I've got to stick to, you know, um, the program. And that is that most people in L.A. may not be open to using those materials all the time. So I've got to send or rather I've got to display colors that will appeal to them. Sure. Yeah, I know we don't see a lot of grays in Miami this time of year or any time of year. Looking right. at your, when you're talking about uh, trading and getting supplies from Europe, is it is it uh, intimidating or difficult for your supplier there to be like, listen, we can't give you 30,000 feet of whack here. This is special stuff. You can't just sell this to all of America, right? <laughs> this is something that, right? So right? It's funny. I find that the, I find that the older establishments are the ones that are very dated and are still being run by, um, you know, I, I don't know if I find first generations, but maybe second generations. Um, they are initially intimidated. I guess my accent wouldn't suggest that I am from America, but once they start, you know, noting down the address and where to send samples, they're like, hold on a minute, this is going to the U.S. Right. <laughs> and I go, yes, that's, that's where I happen to be doing business. And they assume I'm from Europe, obviously, because of the accent. But, you know... I assure them and I tell them, like I said, look, look at my website, look at the pictures of my showroom. It's a boutique. I'm not a, um, you know, uh, a place where, you know, I sell hundreds of square feet or hundreds of thousands of square feet a month. Um, you know, we, we do um, very unique homes and then I show them some of the homes. They can even see them on our Instagram um, and then they get a better picture. And I say, look, I'm not going to bombard you. I'll take what you can offer me. And if something gets, you know, tough to produce or tough to come up with, then just let me know. It's fine, you know, but I love your materials enough to know that I can do business with them. So, it, you know, it's on the table. If you want to send me the samples, here I am. Well, Lo and behold, samples do turn up most of the time. Um, but yeah, to, to say that, I, it, it's funny, but I had a story like that. I went, I, I went to a, um, a little store in, in uh, Venice and found these very, very unique hand, literally hand, um, molded um so handmade and hand molded tiles and the guy who was there was actually young but he explained to me that they are the only establishment in in italy that are licensed to repair all the the cobbles within italy so whether it be in in the old 
churches or um, you know uh, um, streets in general. And I thought, wow, this is a huge selling point. Would you be interested in doing business? The minute I said America, he's like, I, I don't think I have the manpower to produce it. But you know, two years into it, and we're we're doing our third or fourth project now. It's not a big deal. I mean, you know, four projects in, it's a very expensive stone. And obviously, you know, he's got his minimums and he's got his maximums. And he set, you know, he set the bar and he told me, look, I can't do more than this and I can't do uh, less than this. And I try to suit the project to his items. But, you know, we've done some fireplaces. We've done some, um, you know, uh, wine cellars with his stones. They're just super, super unique. And people just want a piece of Italy. And it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, I've got videos of them making them and people just see that. And that's when they're sold. It doesn't the item itself doesn't really have to sell it. It's 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 the making of. It's just so unique. So that's what I fell in love with. So, yeah, it does happen sometimes um, that suppliers do get frightened initially. But then, you know, they, they, they realize that um, there's work to be done. And um, I stick to what they're comfortable with. Hey, Woodfloor Pros. This is Kim Walgren, the editor of Woodfloor Business. Are you looking for tips on installation, sanding, and finishing? Best practices on running your business, dealing with employees, opening a showroom, and more? Make sure you have a current subscription to Woodfloor Business, where we provide advice specifically for Woodfloor Pros written by Woodfloor Pros. It's free as long as you're in the industry. All you have to do is go to woodfloorbusiness.com, click subscribe, and fill out the quick form. You can also sign up for the WFBE News to make sure you don't miss the latest news in the industry, delivered to your inbox twice a week. That's it for now. Let's get back to our conversation with luxury wood floor retailer Roy Akarov. So I have a question. When you had the $65 million house and um, you couldn't remember who this person was, you you had said to him, listen, I'm going to have to be really British here. What does it mean to be really British? I think I know where you were going with this. So really British meant that I was going to be just very honest and candid. And, yep. if, and, and I just if if it was me walking out because I didn't want to waste his or my time, then that's what I was going to say. And, um, you know, and, and I think he totally understood. Right. Let's, let's get right but, to it. I'm going to be very polite here. I have no idea who you are or what we're talking about. In a very lovely <laughs> accent. There we go. Yeah, but, that, but it's, it's exactly what I said. I'm going to be really British over here. And, and, and I turned around, as I said, I turned around to my guy and I said, okay, that's our cue. Pack the stuff. Let's go. And yep, beat the streets. You know, that's crazy. No, I mean, I'm not going to stick around, you know, to waste somebody's time. And obviously, he's busy enough having to put together this house with all this cheap, cheap floor and anything else he's doing in there. So he, he seemed pretty upset anyway. But, but you know, um, we we cater for a particular clientele and i spend enough time with that client to get to the point of sale um you know very often we end up being very good friends with our clients i mean I, i'm i'm on whether it be my phone or email you know even after the install they call us sometimes for maintenance issues um you know we go as far as sprucing up homes for the holidays or special events if they have them so somebody got a floor for me 2 years ago calls me in just says he needs a spruce up, even if it's, you know, cleaning up and putting another coat of oil, for example. Sure. Um, just part of what we do. And, you know, I walk through uh, um, an entire transaction to the to the very end, um, whether it be happy or bitter. But, um, you know, very often it just ends up being very happy. And, you know, our um, our clients end up being our, our friends for, for quite a while. Um, so, you know, in saying that, because I spend that time with the client and because I give them my time and it's worth it because, you know, um, they get a floor that they love and, um, 
you know, something that is unique to them, perhaps. I don't want to be on a site um, for hours when somebody's clearly said to me, there's no business to be done right? because there's just no budget for it. And some of these homes, when they become that spec house, they're just literally looking at an Excel sheet. What goes in doesn't really matter anymore. The designer has no say. It's just, you know, it's just, um, you know, so I know when it comes to that and that's when we sort of, you know, lay the cards on the table and I don't, I, I don't waste anyone's time. I just, um, say my thing. <laughs> you know, I work with a lot of designers, architects, inferior desecrators. The thing I have a problem with is um, when the aesthetic, to me, sounds like it's heading in a very technically disastrous direction. And usually I'll work with the design people on what they're trying to achieve. And this, I'll go straight from what's your aesthetic, what color, what do you like graining? And my third question is, what's your heat? I don't want to sell you something that's going to be a disaster in a few months. And in New England, the weather changes all the time. We could shift 12% in moisture and 20 degrees in, in heat and humidity. So right. when who who sets up the tech part of that stuff for you once you've implemented it? Is that just you just hand that off to your installer? They're not your installers, right? You you use a team. So I do. I I've, I've, I have a uh, again, it's an interview process, but I, I have um, crews that I've dealt with for a number of years now. But essentially, I do call them in. I ask them a few questions. If they're able to answer me, then I, I ask them to show me three sites that they've done. Um, you know, I understand clients privacy, but at a time when they're working and if they're busy, there's no reason why I can't visit. So I go see homes they're working on. I see their methods. And for that, I pick them for a particular job. So whether it be a sand and finish, I've got a particular crew that I use. I don't usually give them installs because that's what they're good at. They're good at sand and finishing. Um, and the same with um, installing patterns. So when it comes to paneling or special and unique patterns, I've got to know they've done it before. Um, so most of the crews that I deal with would probably have about 30 plus years in the industry right. um, for me to feel comfortable enough to recommend them to my clients because, you know, you can always buy a beautiful floor. You can pay a lot of money for it, but the installer is a big, big deal in that equation, and they could make a floor look really ugly no matter how beautiful it is. It sounds more like artisans. Uh, Are you using artisans? I, I, I'd say so. Yeah, they're, they're probably the elite of, you know, of the pack because um, you know, they're not as busy as the rest, least of all because of their pricing, most of all because they're picky. You know, they're picky with the jobs they take on. Um, you know, and they don't negotiate, which I kind of like because I'm in that same rung. I'm not a discount store. So therefore, if somebody comes in and feels that my, my floor is worth 30, 40, 50% less, they're just not going to be my client. And I, again, I'm politely British and I, I sometimes redirect them to a shop that can help them because if I'm not going to do the business, there's no reason why somebody else who I know and is a friend of mine can't do it. So I do redirect them. Do you do a lot of projects? per year you do i do what Sorry. do a lot of projects it sounds like you wouldn't have to do a lot of a lot of volume right so i'm not a volume based um uh business because i spend so much time on that one um project that is so yes we are i, I minimize the transactions by being choosy um because i've got to you know look at the end of month and say look who you know which floor is worth us uh, spending more time on and less time on and that's how i judge you know what's worth working on and therefore um 
you know, clients who do come in for a stock item, um, they're easier to deal with because what you see is what you get. You look at the sample and you, you know, lo and behold, three, four days later, it shows up at your house. And because we use our huge sample, I mean, our samples are about eight foot long and about three or four foot wide. So you can imagine they're not regular sample boards. They're more like literally a box. I show about 15 to 22 feet per sample. So there's no arguments there. If somebody comes in and says, that's not the floor I picked, you know. Yes, it is. Well, yeah, the sample would show it so quite easily. So um, I don't deal in small samples, um, you know, and therefore um, these are transactions are the ones that come in. They pick something off the shelf. Uh, there's few to pick, as I said, but um, they're great options. They're high end. They're all made in Italy, um, mostly made in Italy, some in, uh, you know, sort of other countries, but within Europe at the very least and or um, America. And um, that's sort of the run of the mill. That, that to me is, you know, the, 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 the transaction that I can deal with pretty quickly. Um, but the custom do pref- the custom made floors do prefer my, uh, to, you know, they can run into four or five visits, six even. And each visit could be, you know, one, two, three hours. Sometimes I could be sitting with a whole design crew around our meeting table and discussing a floor. And that's when a decision struck. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a volume based business for sure. So I'm just, it just occurred to me, it, you're buying material overseas and then you're, you're doing work in your area in Los Angeles. So you had to be affected by the pandemic in ways I'm not even thinking about. You Did you have um, difficult... What happened to you through the pandemic? There has to be a tie-in here somewhere. Right. So um, I adhered to the rules, and the rules were that there was a period that we had to, we had to shut our retail store. So, you know, that aside, there, were, there was a period that I did sit at home. Um, and you know, I wasn't, um, as much as I was uncomfortable cause I'm so used to being in my shop and, you know, having the door open to people, um, the door was shut, the lights were off. Um, I have a bit of a cubicle in the back that I was able to work in if I really wanted to get out of the house, but you know, we had shutdowns, um, and that ran for weeks. If I don't even recall if it was months, but the way I was affected was that most of my uh, transactions were just postponed. So most of the orders I work on, if they were placed in January and they're delivered in May, April, or, you know, further out, whatever it may be, or March or whatever it may be, um, all that happened was that houses and sites were shut down too. So I would speak to the design team, albeit the builder or the client, and they would say to me, we're not ready yet. So yes, it did affect me. Um, of course, orders weren't coming in. If the shop's closed, then there's nothing to show people. Um, but, you know, I made the most of it. I could not sit at home and just do nothing. Um, wonderful kids I have just climbing walls around me. Um, <laughs> and, and that sort of added to the fun. But um, the, the pandemic brought about a, a more creative side to what I do, even more so than what I do already. And actually, we came out, myself and my wife sat down and thought, what could we do next? And she helps me on the creative side plenty because she's from that creative world. She studied um, in FIDM, which is a a fashion school here in L.A. And um, we created a set of cleaners for Rhodium. So um, we are in the new year bringing out a um, a wonderful um, uh, collection of very natural based cleaners made here in L.A., um, and they will incorporate all the elements that I don't find in other 
wood and tile floor cleaners um, because I find a very hard time finding cleaners for our floors. And that's part of our deal. You know, when we finish a floor, we have to provide the maintenance regime. So, um, so that's the exciting thing that's going to happen next year. But we're, we're, we're introducing our own set of cleaners under our brand made for us by us and um, very excited for that to happen. But yeah, that's what happened during the pandemic. I, I just couldn't sit still. It's, uh, it, I'm a bit of a workaholic, I would say. Um, you know, I'm not a nine to five guy. I'm way beyond that and way earlier than that. And that's how I was affected. So, you know, I, I talk to people around the country and people in my area all the time. And I had a friend that did a lot of work in the White House. And then he, came, a lot of planning, a lot of work. It's hard to get in the White House. It's not easy to get in there. He got in there and they were allowed to take a certain few pictures. And I, right. I he had come back and <clears throat> he came in for some supplies. And, you know, I asked him to autograph my NWFA manual for me. And he was kidding with me. And I love it, right? Because I just love floor people. <laughs> Dude, there, I, there are people I will get autographs from just in flooring. And I said, you know, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm, there's a little farming community near here. He's sanding like a 200-foot pine, and he said it's full of dog urine, and we're ripping boards up. I go, weren't you in the White House like last week? He goes, right? I just said the same thing to my people. I have been in, you know, $200,000 houses, half a million dollar houses. I've done a $39 million house and a $10 million house. And if people don't think the house, the home, the clientele are different, they are vastly different. It almost goes from very easy going, very easy flow to the middle of the road is we want every penny for everything we're spending. And then the multimillionaires, are, you get up there, it's typically what I've found is they just want what they want and let's do it properly. And if not, then here's your check. You can leave. We'll get someone else. And it, it's We move forward. You would have to find working with millionaire, billionaire clients, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame for you, including probably uh, non-disclosures, et cetera, et cetera. T tell me a little about your clientele that you can tell me about your clientele. <clears throat> yeah, so funny thing is that um, in the shop itself, so I, I know when, when somebody who's of a certain caliber is about to walk in because the assistant would call to make the appointment sure. um, and then they don't give me the name. They, they may give me some phony name um, or they may say, um, we're about to send you an email and if you can sign the disclosure, then we'll reveal all. Um, I sometimes get invited to people's um, sites, homes, um, before they come into the shop because um, they may have paparazzi after them. I don't know who it is, but what it may be, um, as a situation is, yeah, the, the, the uber wealthy uh, do have expectations. They have very high expectations of what they're about to spend because they, they really are the um, – they don't come and quabble about the money or ask for a discount. They are typically the people who get a bill – pay but in return you better give them what they want sure um and very often when a floor is complete and we do meet with them for the final check you know they've got their punch list <clears throat> even if the floor is perfect and i'm very happy to accommodate because sure. if it just means you know a little bit of filler here or you know oh they, they find something sure. um but be that it may um, yeah, we do find ourselves having to sign um, confidentiality agreements. Um, I can't bring people to the job with me. Got to go there on my own. Um, but I put myself in that situation because of <clears throat> the way I run my business. And it is the way that people find us. They, they get recommended by the designers and architects. And if they are of that caliber, then fair enough. 
Um, had an example <clears throat> just probably about two, three months ago. We delivered a, um, a reclaimed floor, beautiful elm tree floor, very, very unique. Took about six months to collect. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say it's a nice size home. Uh, we ended up making them into Chantilly panels, very, very unique. Um, made in, they're made in France and or Belgium rather. And when they were stuck on a ship um, because of the pandemic, you know, obviously Long Beach was um, working at, uh, at, at, um, at full capacity, supposedly, but only releasing a container who knows how when. So I didn't know where the client's floors were and I couldn't give them answers. And when they would call me, I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any better news. Um, and they'd call the port and somehow paid to find out where the container was. I mean, they had more information than I would. I mean, you know, and it really shows that money does talk. Sure. So they managed to locate the container and they said, have I got information for you? Our container is on this and this ship. It hasn't even docked. We don't know when it's going to arrive. And I said, look, as I said to you, I really don't have any more information. So the fact that you're telling me the ship is out there, you know, I, I don't mean to add salt to the wound, but you can drive out to Malibu and you can see all the ships. Yeah. Your guess is as good as mine. And I kept telling that to people. So that's probably... Um, not meeting their expectations because they expect me to know exactly when their ship is going to dock and when they're going to have the delivery. And that's something that just happened during COVID. We just couldn't predict. So I had a lot of delays in some projects. Floor arrived. Um, the dust settled. They called me up. They said, we love this floor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're ready to install now. So this was a pretty distant um, project from my showroom. And again, I don't, you know, without revealing too much, but the client said, I'm ready for your installer. So we made the installers travel. We made them book a hotel. Lo and behold, it was a solid floor. It's, it's a reclaimed. So solid, just off a ship, been there a bit too long. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what I'm getting On at, right? On the ocean, lots of, a bit of water. Right, yeah, Humidity. just a little bit, yeah. Um, so here I am trying to explain to a client who just doesn't care that his floors cannot go down. And he's like, they're going down tomorrow. And I said, well, my guys won't do it. So he goes, fair enough. My guys came in and they explained the moisture thing to him. And he's like, you either put them down, I'm getting a new crew in 15 minutes. So lo and behold, he had three other crews stand outside and one, one at a time dropped like ducks, each and every one of them who had a license. Oh boy. <laughs> <would come in laughs> and walk straight out and say, no, they're not. So... Would you believe if I tell you that the client installed the floor himself with two of his friends? That's what he told me. Wow. With 23% moisture. What? How big a floor was this? We're talking about 3,200 square feet of panels. <laughs> oh, man. Ouch. Um, we're, we're still in touch because he wants the maintenance regime. I just, I, I don't know how to answer him. I mean, I keep, I, I'm just grinding my, you know, my, my teeth and, right. and biting my tongue. <laughs> Try, trying to think if this floor will ever stay down but you know what they've moved in and they they seem really happy and um that, that that's you know that's the end of the road I, I i just i hope that the floor stays down but he did say to me he says when i was putting this floor in those tongues and grooves would not go in and and i said hey you know what when things have shrunk and things have expanded that's what happens Absolutely. they're just not gonna butt together so so the designer called me up actually and he goes these floors look really wonderful there's only just one thing over here um they've hugely gapped <laughs> jeez i wonder why <laughs> just one thing 
just I said, I said, if that's all you got going over there, I'm we're doing well. I said, look, do you know what? They're solid floors. They're going to shrink. They're going to gap. They're going to expand. They're going to contract. They're going to wiggle. They're going to make noises. So I hope they enjoy them. They and make said, a good underlayment for carpet. Here you go. But I, I could not believe that somebody of that caliber, and I mean wealth, Right. would get on his own hands and knees and install the floors because he was that desperate to have them down because he had to move back in. Had to have that. It just had to happen. And um, and that's all I heard of it. So, um, yeah. That scratches nice out my, uh, what's your craziest thing that ever happened question because that's nuts. Uh, hey, I want to ask you too, when, you're, when we're talking about all this, what's with the the um, vintage cars? You have vintage cars in your photos, vintage cars. You have them parked like in your living You have one in your living room. They're parked everywhere where you go. <laughs> do you ever actually drive or do you have a driver? How do you decide which vehicle? What's going no, on with so, these cars so, that you so, got everywhere? So, so I'm, 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 a, I'm a gear junkie. Gotcha. I definitely am. That's, that's, that's a, a term I picked up over here in America. Gearhead. Um, I, in England, I would have just said I love classic cars. But anyway, so bit of a gear junkie and um, – not my living room. Um, I, I don't live in that lavish a home yet. <laughs> Not yet. You'll get there. But, but, but um, I do have one in my showroom, yes. So um, if you go on our site, you'll see there's a, a, a fabulous 1933 um, Aston Martin that's parked in my showroom. And that was a, um, that was a garage find from England who I had um, so, some other investors come in, with, uh, in on it with me because it was just completely unaffordable to restore. Um, I get it for my dad. Um, it, it's something that he, he'd, uh, he had loved, um, throughout life. He'd love classic cars and that's probably where I get it. And, um, when I came to the States, LA is such a car culture, right? Oh yeah. Uh, it's just got the biggest, I mean, in general, uh, whether it be, you know, the Uber supercars or the classic cars, it's just such, uh, it's such a, uh, um, a culture that's geared to meeting for uh, such hobbies. So I got into it again um, from England. I, I never really owned a classic, but you know, uh, started restoring this car, which took years, ended up, ended up buying several more. And my wife, it just got a bit out of hand. And my wife says, look, you've got to get these cars out of here. I was just parking them everywhere at home. I was taking up the drive and just looked great. So my previous showroom, I, I had about five cars in the showroom. Um, it was big enough to house about that many. Um, this showroom, which I moved into, a little more minute, a little smaller. I'm parking one. I swap it out every so often. But the classic car thing is actually a secondary business now. I had to make it into a secondary business because it became such an expensive addiction. Um, so, yes, I restore cars professionally now. It's it's a different company. It's called MP Classics. Right. And... Um, and that's where my cars take me. So, um, but cars and floors, it's really funny. It's a, it's a bit like cars and coffee, um, in a very, in a very, um, it's just very well correlated because the people who I deal with, most of them do own some very, very, very exclusive car collections. And I only find that out after they walk in because the wife comes in, she looks at the floors and she goes, Oh my God, my husband would love that. So she, they get on the phone immediately and lo and behold, they turn up like, 15 20 minutes later just to look at the car right. <laughs> so, the car. so then our conversations go on a completely different tangent they realize that we share you know when you share hobbies when you share interests with a client it really just makes the whole thing ever more friendly so um it is a bit of a publicity stunt a bit of a sales stunt 
Um, and I hear that um, there are other stores or stores in LA that are copying my my um, my sales done. So do these, I'm proud of it. Do you ever, I know of another car that has a car. Have you ever had to do a custom design floor for someone's cars? Yes. The short answer is yes. Yeah. I've been poached by a um, – several times I've been poached. But, well, I've done – I have done a floor for a, um, for a, uh, for a yacht, um, uh, or maybe a couple, but I don't even know about it. But I, I did deliver a floor for that purpose. For cars, I had a guy who was producing campers, um, high end campers. He was re he was redoing oh the the jet streamers, the, the sort of the um, you know the, the all um, stainless steel. Shimmer, uh, yeah. like just just is. unbelievable. Um, and I've got photos somewhere, but but he um, he came in and ordered a herringbone floor um, for a um, for a show that he was doing with his his um, his um, campus. And he took pictures afterwards and he goes, um, he goes, the, the the rarest thing in my camper is the floor. That's what he wrote to me. Right. He goes, people came in and, you know, there's nothing. I mean it's wonderful to have such a beautiful camper but he goes you know the kitchen was the kitchen the bathroom was the bathroom the shower was the shower and the outside is silver i mean people are used to it but when they walked in the first thing they said wow this is high end and he goes i pinpointed it and people would just look down <laughs> isn't that funny <laughs> my wife's a realtor she once sold a house because i installed I, we had spare hardwood flooring i put it in their kids their friends we put it in their kids treehouse and she right. came home she goes the they Pick the house, they love it, but the clincher was they couldn't get the kids out of the treehouse, and then they climbed up and saw the hardwood flooring in the treehouse. And guess who got a sale on the house and all the flooring that went in after that? That worked out to be pretty uh, cool. There you go. Yeah, so you know what? It, it just goes to show it's the small things that count. That really is what it is, and it it, it's, it's really down to that. Some people who come in, they choose a, a, an old regular plank floor, and as you rightly said it, you know, um, they try to pinch um, a bit of richness into the entrance just to give it a bit of a wow factor. And I find that a lot. I, I, I do a lot of what I call the rug effect. And I just put in that unique pattern right by the entrance with a frame and call it a day. Sure. And most people are happy with that because, you know, they say, wow, do you know what? We entertained this weekend and people were asking where our floors are from. You know, and it might just be a really regular color, but it's that entrance that gave it that factor. You never know what's going to turn like here for two, three hundred years. They would put in these old New England homes, they would put um, pine in the center of a maple floor herringbone pattern. And then the second, third floors would always be fir because it was inexpensive and it was durable. And in the last couple decades, they're ripping these floors out and they're leaving the pine inserts where there used to be rugs glued down. They're setting right. the nails and sanding them and finishing them as part of the floor, and it's become a design element. People love it. They think it looks fantastic. Right, yes. I, I'm actually all about keeping the old. I, I'm not a huge fan of people calling me in for a, a good floor to rip it out just to put something new mo modern. Sure. So for me, it's really about you know reclaiming, and uh, I, I'm all about that. I, I, I hate to rip out another floor just because somebody just feels it's – you know, it's not up to par with their taste buds. So very often I do try and convince them to go through the sanding and restaining process, even if I'm not involved. Um, lo and behold, you know, 50% of the time they come back or maybe even more, they say, look, we've tried it. We don't like it. Please come in and we do what they want. But, you know, for some just to call in and just say, oh, I hate the color of my floor. Can we please change it to a white plank French oak? Um, you know, I do take 
<laughs> precaution and I walk in and I say, look, this is a perfectly good floor. Um, you know, uh, so unless you, you know, you, you really need it, I'd hate to sell you on the fact that I'm chopping down another tree. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's already a box product, but I still feel that way. I still feel that getting something off my shelf means something else has to be replaced sure. with another tree that's being chopped down. So, you know, it's just my way of thinking. Um, and I'm very conservative in that way. So yeah. Um, new homes, I'm okay covering concrete. Old homes, if they've got beautiful floors, I try and reclaim. If it's not possible, if it's had damage, it just doesn't look good in the sense that it's just not going to hold up, then I'll come in and rip them up for you. Well, before I let you escape, because you you mentioned at one point um, it, we had some technical difficulties and we've spoken other times and you said, don't worry, I can regurgitate anything. <laughs> Listen, would you do me a favor and could you regurgitate your school bus stop Paul McCartney story? Oh, yes. I yes. So, yeah. So I, I've got a, a I'll, I'll end with a, with a bit of a sub story, but it, it definitely has a happy ending. Um, I lost my dad this year. Sure. And uh, it wasn't COVID. It was COVID related. Um, I guess COVID in, in a sense just kept my parents indoors and he wasn't able to see his best friends and family. And, you know, that led to a bit of a downfall because he, he, he'd, he'd had, um, lung disease for a number of years and um you know that that was a huge deal for me because he was my best friend he doesn't live close to me but we were super super close even that i live so far um mentor everything under the sun that's my dad and um we grew up with and i thank my dad and this is where the happy side is to it i thank my dad for the music he left with me and this is um in in the nicest sense means that everywhere that we went uh, whether we were traveling we were home we were in the car at work, my dad was a huge music influence to me, not because he would sing, not because um, he would sing, <laughs> right? but he wasn't a professional singer. He would just, you know, uh, just chime along to the most beautiful things that he shared with me. And one of those things was um, uh, his love for um, uh, 60s to 80s and going way before and beyond music. The Beatles was a huge part of my life um one because i lived on abbey road um Man. and that's where my parents actually chose to live it's just funny but um uh, i later you know continued living there even uh, even after i uh, i left home and was old enough and um paul mccartney would live probably about four or five streets away from abbey road studios um i don't know if that was just by coincidence but he was there and in England, we have what we call these high streets. A high street would incorporate your bare necessities. So it would have a little supermarket which would sell your, um, you know, your, um, um, uh, your groceries. Um, you know, it wasn't anything as large as what we're used to over here, like Costco's. It was um, right. <laughs> way, way smaller. But anyway, it would have a magazine store, what we'd call a, a corner shop, perhaps. And then... Um, the deal with Paul is that he lived so close by and I would catch the school bus um, um, on the corner of that high street. It was right by Barclays Bank. I'd never forget it. And he would go to the sandwich store next door to pick up uh, his, his groceries. Um, it used to call, be called Panda. Right. So Panda Market. And um, he would I, I, we would cross paths almost every single morning. So um, um and being so influenced by him, I, I was never starstruck by him. He w it was very early in the morning. I was barely getting out of bed, to be honest, having to put my uniform on, because, as you know, we wear uniforms in England. 
and he would see us at the bus stop and I would, I would, you know, just pluck the courage after a few times of seeing him. And I just say, morning, Paul. And, you know, and he would, he, he asked for my name one time and, um, and he would say morning Roy after a few times. And that's just my, my Paul McCartney story. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd seen him so many times. He's just a, he's one of the locals, right? And that's exactly what he became. You know, to me, anybody who would see him today would just be, I, I mean, I, I know I would too, but, you know, starstruck and he's just, they're legends. I mean, that's just, you know, but, but to me, he was that regular guy who would put his coat on in the morning because it was freezing cold. He would have his scarf on and he would walk to the sandwich store to pick up uh, his, you know, sandwich and whatever. And that's just what it was. And I, you know, I'd seen him so many times that I just got so used to it. And, um, you know, even if it was on the weekends, we'd spend some time in the high street because it just it was a place that everybody in the neighborhood would collect um, or gather rather. And, you know, you pick up your coffee, you pick up your groceries or you go to the bank. And that's just that was his local. So, um, yeah. Yeah. For for the amount of fame and success, the humility is amazing. It comes out in that documentary that they did on Disney. We, you know, it's just and and you look at your country and what they had. It's their years. They love America. They're yours. We share them. It's the greatest music. I've told you, if you're going to talk music, let's first take the Beatles and put them on the shelf. Then let's go to the Zeppelins and the, you know, whoever you want to talk about. Just, right. just amazing. And when we were talking about this, like you said, it's where you're from. There's a humility. There's a small... You know, we built a little place here called New England. We just wanted to make another one of what you had and move... We have high streets. <laughs> we have stuff like that. We don't right. eat weird putting in fig things and that, but we got hot dogs and stuff. We're working on it. We've- yeah, no, I know. I've I, I got to say, you know, it, well, it's funny. You mentioned a place on, I think we were on text the other day when we were trying to meet yesterday and you said you were in, in and I read it as Cheshire, right? Cheshire. And I don't think I, I, I'm, what's that? Yeah. And I was actually in, in Gloucester. So however you say. You're, okay. So it's <laughs> Everywhere I was, we were it's at a castle Gloucester. in Gloucester. Gloucester Gloucestershire is what we say. But yeah. Um, Yes, it, it, it's definitely New England. That's why it's called it, I guess. Well, I live in New Hampshire, and the kids, when they would go to college, they would say, are you going back to the Shire? So it's, it's right, exactly. they have all the that Shire, stuff. Exactly, yeah. And our so, construction is yeah. very English, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, so we duked it out a couple decades ago, but we went back for the big wars together, and then we have the Beatles. Oh, yes. So you and I oh, are bringing yes. the love from East Coast, West Coast. It's a whole big deal. Absolutely. So I, I got. I, well, I, I thought we'd have a jamming session. Maybe next session. Let's, oh, <laughs> listen, I can play bar chords. We could have a jamming session, but, I'm but in there. Um, you know, they're such legends. I mean, you know, just their um, the way that they were able to project um, the different types of music, even within what they did. Like take, you know, songs like Hey Jude and then go to you know rigby i mean it just you know such extremes and the guitar and the drums and it just it it just i mean it sends shivers down my spine but but um just amazing musicians and 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 um the influence over there is that i can relate to a lot of what they sing about even even if they were high half the time (laughs) singing about some of this stuff which i don't get but but it's just amazing and the talent they came up with in fact I'll tell you a, a little, a short little story about, I don't know if it was, I think it was Paul um, or Lennon. It, w- it might've been Lennon, but Lennon owned a home in, at the end of the world. It's literally in a place called um, uh, Sunny, Sunny, I think it's called Sunny Isle. 
Um, it's at the edge of Australia. And he owned, it's a little island, and he owned a little home over there right on the beach. And he would supposedly visit. And he had a little cabin in that house that overlooked the entire island that he would, it, you could only see through a tree. So you can't actually see the cabin. And the reason he would do that, and this is where the term opium bed came up, right? Right. Okay, so you'd have, a, you'd have an opium bed in there, and he would sit there and just write his songs. That's, he, would, he would literally just, just write songs, and that's, a, lot of his, a lot of his stuff came just from being there. And I, I actually was visiting on the, on the island with, um, with some friends. And um, again, I was dying to get into that house, but obviously no access. But yeah, just one of those things. But they're just so talented. I mean, I, I, it, it's just, it, that's, that's music forever. That's the difference between what we hear, some of what we hear today and some of what we hear back then. And that's the music forever. The, you know, the Madonnas and all those, just, you know, they, they did make their mark in music. Um, Got to tell you, though, I'm, I'm a diehard Gaga fan, believe it or not. There you go. She's very talented. And I'll tell you why I am. Um, it's not because I like her Ooh La La songs. It's because um, her recent... Um, uh, so, you know the film The Star Is Born? Yes. Last year. I think that's when I discovered Gaga. It, just, it happened just as my father was uh, passed away, and I could actually relate to her songs from that movie, and I think that's when I discovered Gaga, and I said, you know what? She's so diverse. She's just... She's got an amazing. She was projection. a flooring star. We'll talk. She, well, she, we'll talk about it another yeah. time. She'll be back. Yeah. You get maybe in this industry. One, yeah. But before Tom Cruise oh, was, oh, he'll be back. They're all coming back. Don't you? You think you know <laughs> L.A.? I I know everybody who swung a hardwood flooring hammer in Los Angeles. We'll talk about. We can't. I have disclosures too, Roy. I'm a pretty big deal here. <laughs> now I got a podcast. I, I totally get it. But yeah, <laughs> I I definitely like a bit of Gaga, and um, I I actually met her on the beach in Malibu one time. She was riding her bike. Believe it or not, she was riding a bike in a wedding gown. Um, she's she's pretty out there. <laughs> I love and it. And that's the only way I, I that's the only way I knew it was Gaga. She literally had this huge gown. Oh, she, like you can barely see her. She's this small, <laughs> and her gown was like out here, and she was on a bicycle. So that's when I wasn't such a big fan. This was like three years ago. But yeah, the star is born, um, and she really to me she was born then because she really is so diverse. Her voice is amazing. Um, so yeah. Well, now you know there's nothing on that coast of yours that's named after where you're from. It's over here. We're over here. You, you, yeah. It's a little crazy. I'm going to rifle through my quick fire questions. There's just boom, you, you answer, and then I'm going to let you escape my clutches because we should, we should wrap this up and get you back to work, my friend. Yes. You're, <laughs> you're a good dude, Roy. I knew we'd have fun. I'm liking this. Might I, have to do this I more. I really appreciate it. Go, man. All right, here's your questions. If you Go. were not in the industry, what would you be doing? And on the buzzer. What is it? If you weren't in the industry, what would you be doing? Gosh. Um, you really got me, Stephen. I, yeah, I never so really thought that I want to do anything else. I, I, it won't be public what, speaking, I'm apparently. A bit of a, okay, I'm a bit of a chef. So I'd have to say, I'd, have to say I'd probably be running um, a restaurant. It'd probably be so low end, though. Because the only people who appreciate my food is my wife. <laughs> That's raw. <laughs> so, well, you have the accent for it. What's raw? There we go. Yeah. Who's your who? Who's one of your favorite people in the floor? Oh, but maybe I'd run a pub. Actually, that's I do. I'd probably do that. Well, you can't go pub. back on speed questions like this. You're hurting oh, me. Sorry. Okay. No, All right. Go we're on. gonna have to Next. start over. Uh, who is your favorite person in the flooring industry? 
do you have flavor proof? Fav- favorite person in the flooring industry okay it would well so because i'm so influenced by the european creators sure. then i'm going to have to say that um uh, there's a company that's run it's called uh, folio de oro um they make the most spectacular floors out there and the reason being is because they're actually craftsmen from the furniture world so as you can imagine coming from the furniture world and things are so so 3d going down to 2d has been pretty easy for them so they make some super spectacular things i'm on I mean, their christmas just, list it's not just you yeah we're good um you, you're de- you're definitely another one now you, you you make you make the cut so well that would be my question is there anybody in the industry you'd like to meet don't worry you, i'm gonna put me down there because we're gonna make that <laughs> please happen do. please do yeah what because yeah, you that. do things differently what's your favorite medium to work in might not even be wood my favorite medium. Uh, elaborate, because I mean, I'm trying to think. Like wood, tile, ceramic, stone, metals. Is it, is... No, I, do you know what? I feel that the, there's limitations with anything other than wood. Why is that? Because you can use any tool to manipulate wood. Tiles are a little harder. So you're very limited with the ways you cut them, even though they've invented all these water jets and all that stuff. But by far wood, um, and wood is is even easy to manipulate after you've installed, whereas tile isn't. So, so how about in the industry that in the part of it you're in, in the flooring that you do? You got any big pet peeves? Did you say pet stuff? Pet peeves, uh, British. Okay, uh, what English. pisses I'm you English. off? Wait, I'm English. You're forgetting. What pisses you off, mate? There's got to be something. Oh, there you go, mate. Go on. So what? Okay. So something uh, that, any, something that is there me something off. that rubs you the wrong way? In the in your in, work, yes. If you don't have one, way, I'll make you a list. No, no, no. I, no, I, I, I won't. I won't give you a list because it's this is this is the you know hands on the buzzer thing. So um, installers, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they can piss they can piss me off big time. They like um, there's nothing worse than an installer that you go onto a site and he disagrees with you in front of a client. Well, you're going to answer these last two as fast as you can. Do you go. have any carpets in your home? Illegal. No. Good. My last question for you, sir. If Julia Roberts came into your shop and wanted 300 feet of strand-woven bamboo flooring and said, I have money, I have money, would you sell her a floor? I'd actually say to her, um, could you give me a big smile just like you did in Aaron Brockovich? I'll give you a hug and there's the door. That would work for me. Roy, you're the greatest, man. I, I, I'm really glad that you spent some time with me. I love it. Let's Are we take, finished? Let's do the show. I know, right? I told you, you I, don't have, I don't have time, and maybe we could squeeze. I go, if we turn the switch on, it's going to be an hour. We're good. We got this. I'm good. Okay. I, I feel comfortable right. next, now that... Next time, you've got to add some music to it. Bring the Beatles on. We'll jam. I will do Really that. enjoy it. Oh, no, really I can't it. let this recording go, because I told you, the other recordings on this disc or me waiting for you playing all the Beatles albums and doing karaoke to them, and I was recording them all. I'm destroying you, this. Oh, yeah. Could you make that part of our intro? I'm digging Maxwell's Silver Hammer. What a story. <laughs> I was thinking everything. All right, I'm going to let you go, Roy, but I appreciate you spending the time with me, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Wood Floor. To read more about luxury wood floor retailer Roy Akarov, check out his Wood Floor Business Outstanding Retailer Award profile in the August-September 2021 issue of WFB, or read his article in the December-January 2022 issue about finding unique products around the globe. 
You can also find these articles digitally at woodfloorbusiness.com. And if you don't subscribe to Woodfloor Business, be sure to fill out the quick subscription form on the website too.